Hey, it's Beth here. Just a heads up before we start, this episode of Private Parts contains some pretty strong themes. It takes an in-depth look at domestic violence and mental illness. If you think that's going to be triggering or distressing for you, we really recommend that you skip this episode. Thanks. Welcome to Private Parts, the podcast that's not afraid to go there. Um, yeah, probably the time when I hit butted her through the wall. That was because it was a reaction from me that I was not expecting. Yeah, I honestly cannot even vaguely recall what it was we were fighting about. But she'd picked up a um, like a letter opener. She was in a defensive posture at that time, so I'm not sure what how the argument ended up escalating to that point. But she was basically like, "Don't fucking come near me, or I'll stab you." Ended up like chasing her to the kitchen for some reason, and grabbed hold of her wrist to try and get the letter opener out of her hand, and pushed her up against the wall and she was struggling and I just like I don't even know where it came from just kind of like I just like headbutted her as hard as I possibly could and the and the back of her head like actually went through the wall it looked like somebody like kicked a football through the wall and that was one of the first times I think when my violence in that situation really disturbed me partly because there was like this very prominent visible reminder in like the most domestic part of the house uh, that should represent all that is wholesome about a good civil domestic situation had this battle scar from me getting out of control This is Leon. The first time I saw him, he was on stage, visibly shaking. I was at a storytelling night. Ten people got up on stage to tell five-minute personal stories on the theme, Love Hurts. Leon looked into the crowd and began, This is a story about domestic violence and my role as a perpetrator. As Leon told his story, I remember feeling two conflicting things. I felt excruciatingly uncomfortable. I kept looking around to see how people were reacting. Was someone going to throw something at him? Storm out? But I also wanted to know more. Domestic violence is so, so common. The latest stats say one in four women in Australia experience it. Yet it's often hidden. We don't often hear the stories, and we especially don't hear stories from abusers. There are lots of good reasons for this. It's argued that people who hurt their partners don't deserve to be heard from, that to give them space to speak takes the power and narrative away from victims, that there is no story that deserves our empathy. 
but as I listened to Leon speak, I wondered if people like Leon had some valuable insights into why a person becomes violent towards their partner. And that hearing these things, discussing these things, even if it is deeply uncomfortable, might be pretty important if we want these things to stop. So I got in contact with Leon and we ended up talking for over two and a half hours. What follows is his story in much more depth and complexity than that five minutes on stage allowed for. Leon, by the way, isn't his real name. It's been changed. And I just want to emphasize that this is one story told from one person's perspective. It's got holes in it, like all stories, and it's probably not for everyone. So tread carefully. I uh, met her when I was in my um, very late teens, and she was 24, I think, 24, 25. It was my first proper relationship. Like I'd had, I think, a girlfriend, or a couple of girlfriends before that, but they were like adolescent mm. things, like nothing serious at all. And she'd already like traveled the world and she was like, I thought she was super cool because she was really worldly and shit. And she had actually recently had to leave another violent partner and basically fled to the other side of the world to get away from him. Because she wasn't didn't have anywhere to live when I met her, like she was just basically couch surfing. Um, I let her move in with me. Like everything about our relationship was cranked up to eleven. Like the intensity of our emotional connection, the, uh, the intensity of our sexual connection was really, really nuts as well. Um, just yeah, everything about it was full on. We were both dealing with not inconsequential mental health problems. I had been dealing with depression and um, what was also later on diagnosed as borderline personality disorder, a little bit further on down the track. Um, and she had been dealing with uh, problems with depression and with substance abuse. The honeymoon period in our relationship didn't really last that long. We started like fighting about stuff pretty much straight away and the fights were always like massive rows um like disagreements about like our relationships with other people behaviors that she found unsatisfactory and from my perspective me i don't know not really understanding what was going on or how to how to communicate my frustration about what was going on there was one incident in particular there was a girl that was working in a cafe with me who um, I guess she thought I had a crush on or something um, and she asked me if like if I thought she was attractive to which I stupidly replied well you know like in a different set of circumstances yeah well I would probably go out with her she's you know she's sweet and she completely lost her shit about that mm. and ended up like storming into the place where I was working with her one day and just like screaming at her i imagine we probably fought about boring stuff like money and things as well but it's it's those fights that kind of stand out in my mind i didn't know how at that point in my life had no way to communicate or get it uh, get across my 
feelings about any given situation in a way that made sense or would provide any like rational counter the things that are upsetting her. I don't deal particularly well with conflict. People being angry scares the shit out of me. So my default um, reaction to those situations would either be just to storm out of the house, um, sometimes for days on end. Yeah, I just like there was I didn't I had absolutely no understanding of like. How do you win an argument? I don't know how to do this. I've never had a domestic argument with anybody before in my life apart from my dad. I started having like full-blown psychotic episodes, like disassociative episodes, which I'd had once or twice before, but being in that um, intense environment, I would kind of revert into this weird like animal mode where I would like growl and bark and bite and run around on all fours and stuff. And whilst that process was happening, it was kind of like, it wasn't like turning into a different person. It was like putting on a mask and letting the mask drive for a while. And your consciousness kind of takes a back seat and what's happening. And was that scary? Yeah, of course it was scary. And during, but and during those periods, I could be quite violent I think I did bite her on a few occasions, bite her and scratch her on a few occasions. And we had to replace a lot of glasses because I would constantly throw them around and flip tables. It terrified the shit out of her. It was absolutely fucking terrifying for her. And I knew that on a few occasions she was afraid for her life because she just had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, when was the first time that you felt like I I really... I really hurt her, physically hurt her. Um, yeah, probably the time when I headbutted her through the wall. This is the really frightening thing for me, for me personally, and also the the bit about that story about that story, which is probably for for a lot of people, is the most difficult bit to hear, is suddenly getting control simply by hurting somebody um, that also is exhilarating there's an immense sense of power in being able to change that situation uh, suddenly and 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 um, unequivocally um Probably the, uh, yeah, the worst that I ever copped it from her um, was towards the end of an argument about something else. And I ended up being on the floor in the bathroom, hugging the, the bottom of the bowl, effectively, um, while she was kicking him in the head with um, a pair of Doc Martin boots. Yeah. And what did it feel like to be? Um, humiliating. Uh, growing up, my father used, um, you know, smack me and stuff as a as a form of discipline. So from th- the other end of it, I was always very uh, fearful of people in general and their damage other people could do to me physically. So 
yeah, being in that situation kind of brought all of that back up as well. My father's temper was kind of unpredictable and his behavior as a disciplinarian was really unpredictable. Mm. So there wasn't any kind of sense of um, like if you did a thing wrong, he might smack you or he might not. He might just tell you off and there was no way to know or there might be a day when he would just like you hadn't really done anything wrong, but you'd, but you'd annoyed him and then you'd get a smack. And if that's the template that you have when you're growing up, then yeah, of course you're going to, you, you scream, you break things, you um, smack someone around. That's how you um, establish order in a household. Um, I think that was actually, that was after the, um, incident where I tried to strangle her. There was actually a couple of times when I tried to, um, either strangle or suffocate her. So during the course of an argument, I again tried to walk out and she was really desperate to stop me that time because it was like the third time in a week that she'd had to call the cops. Yeah, she was standing in front of the um, the front door and I just put my hands around her throat and throttled her. The look of complete abject terror on her face. In that moment, and this is the this is the thing that I think is that the difficult thing to hear and the difficult thing to be honest about is that look of resigned terror on her face. That made me feel great. Like, I don't think I've ever felt more powerful in my life, except in that moment. Knowing for a split second that I have the power of life or death over somebody, that if I just held my hands there for a bit longer, that that person would not wake up again. Um, that's an incredible fucking rush. And then in the same instance, go, fuck, what am I doing? I'm going to kill this person. And at that point I backed off. But just having that one glimpse into, like, this is why people end up being like like serial killers and shit. Like, you have that one moment of a complete triumph over anything else. But you're, because you're, not only are you in charge in that moment, because that person is physically incapacitated, but you get to choose if they breathe. Even though I know how fucking wrong that sounds, the, the intractable truth of it is like, that is, that sensation something that, 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 the desire to get that back has never gone away. So what did you do? Um, 
Yeah, after I, I let go of her, I was, just, I, I was like, I was incredibly apologetic and stuff. And at that point in time, she was kind of really too shocked um, and disturbed by the whole thing to really kind of do much. And after, but after that incident, that was when um, I started getting more involved in doing therapy and ang- like concentrating on the anger management part of my therapy. Even then, like, that's something that I never told any of my therapists. Because that makes you sound like an evil person. Yeah, so did you tell anyone that in your life? Um, I have I have discussed that with people before. And that's also where there is another extra layer of weirdness to this whole entire thing. Is that that initial relationship was had a, a BDSM component to it. Yeah, so basically she ended up training me as a slave. Um, so that was this whole, like, another aspect of it, of, like, controlled loving violence can also be part of a relationship. And this came up later on, because much further down the track, I got involved in, like, in BDSM stuff again, but as a, as a dominant. And one of my favorite things to do was choke people. And so there were a couple of occasions when we were talking, when I was talking with my partners about like the fetishes that we had and where that fetish came from. I was like, I'm, this is going to make me sound like a fucking terrible person, but that is why I have that fetish because it's, it's a, it's a safe way for me to get the illusion of having that moment of control again. So do you feel like you are in control of your anger now? Um, a lot more, a lot more. Like I still have, I still have moments when I get upset about like just dumb shit and have a really negative reaction to it, but I don't express it physically. I have better ways of dealing with it now than I did before. I think, uh, changing the weight that I put on things in my life. I think growing up, um, I had a tendency to just focus on what was it, whatever was happening in the moment and whatever was happening in that moment was everything that ever was or ever will be. I think as I've gotten older and done a lot of therapy has helped me to become less concerned with permanence being okay with the fact that like you're not really in control of very much at all yeah i do think i do think so to hear from people that have made a a journey from being a a, a, an abuser or a perpetrator of violence to being able to get to a different place that does need to be heard because it means that if you're somebody in that situation that you're not just in a situation where you're like, well, but this is who I am. And if I tell someone about this, then I'm admitting to being an evil person. Right, exactly. Whereas if they hear from somebody who's like, no, you don't have to, you don't have to stay that way. You can learn better ways of being a human being. You can be a better person. Uh, it must be true because I did that. Then that's that's really important as well.
that they feel like they have an opportunity to to redeem themselves to some extent. I don't really think there is there's such a thing as an intrinsically bad person. There aren't bad people, there's just people that do bad things. You can make bad decisions about stuff. And even if you make bad decisions about stuff, it doesn't make you a bad person. What you know, the qualifier of that is what you do next. If this episode of Private Parts raised concerns for you, you can call the National Sexual Assault, Family and Domestic Violence Counseling Line on 1800 737 732. You can call the Men's Line on 1300 789978 and Lifeline is 13 11 14. This episode of Private Parts was produced by Beth Gibson and Irit Polak. Extra help from Miles Martagoni and Kyla Bredel. Additional music by Chris Sabrisky. Private Parts is the podcast that's not afraid to go there. And we now have a phone. If you have thoughts or experiences you want to share about anything Private Parts related, leave us a message on 0466 892 331. We love hearing from you.